0: welcome to another Sunday edition of Different Church. My name is Hannah. I am the pastor of Different Church and I get to do the welcome today. So exciting. So a couple of very important things that you need to know. First of all, uh, we have our weekly hangout slash get together slash game nights. If you would like any information on those, please email hello at diffchurch.com or comment down below. We have one every Thursday night or every other Thursday, and then every other Wednesday. So um, those are exciting times where you just get to hang out and be together. I also want to draw your attention to diff.church. That's D-I-F-F dot church. That is a way to get connected with us. You can uh, submit a connection card, tell us who you are. You can (laughs) can donate through there. You can, um, I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff through there. You can tell us about groups. You can tell us what you loved about the service, all of that. So definitely go to diff.church, and that way you can stay connected. And I highly recommend that you sign up for our email newsletter. It goes out about every two to three weeks. And that email newsletter gives us the opportunity to share what's going on with you. Um, and it's we don't spam you. It's just really important information. Um, and also, Bree, who is our director of operations and writer extraordinaire, is in charge of that. And she writes very funny newsletters, in my opinion. The last thing I want to tell you is that I am really, really excited to let you know that today our message is actually going to be shared by a dear friend of Different Church, a person who has supported us since the beginning, and we have partnered with him and his organization in the past as well. His name is Jason Sowell, and he is the founder and leader of Current Initiatives, which we have done um, laundry projects with them before and being able to pay for people's laundry and do people's laundry who didn't have the ability to do that. And they have been totally doing some wonderful things during this whole virus crisis with laundry and helping people who are are having a difficult time paying for the ability to do their laundry. So he is a good friend and also just a fabulous person. And I know that he has something great to share with you this morning. So I'm really, really excited for you to listen to him. So I will turn it over to Jason.
1: Thanks, Anna. Good morning, Different Church. Thanks so much for letting me be here with you today, uh, at least in this forum, via via camera, virtually. I hope you're all doing well at home or wherever you're watching this. Um, I know some of you, some of you may recognize me from uh, our laundry projects. I run the organization Current Initiatives that Different has been a part of uh, a few times in the past. And so I'm really excited to be here with you uh, once again and be able to uh, um, take a, take the lead on a sermon this morning. So let's jump into it. Um, The passage we're going to look at today is in the book of Matthew in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible Uh, because these stories about Jesus are really fascinating to me because in a lot of ways um, they represent something to us that I think in the same vein of uh, stories like superheroes. When we watch superhero movies like uh, the Avengers, I mean, first of all, let me get, just get this right out of the way. Everyone knows Batman is the best uh, superhero of all time. There's no argument. You can discuss it right there in your home all you want right now when this is over with, but consensus is the truth. Doesn't matter, Batman is number one of all time. But the beautiful thing about all these superhero stories and the thing that I love about Batman too especially is that he's just a regular person trying to do what he can to better his city, better his community, uh, and make people safer. And the lovely thing about these superhero stories, these movies, these comic books, things that we jump into, is that these superhero stories represent hope to us. It gives us an ideal to look at. It gives us something uh, that is bigger than us, Uh, to aspire to. Uh, We look at these characters and go, man, if I could be that, if I could be the superhero, or um, man, something that in a world that, especially right now when a pandemic and so much uncertainty, these kinds of stories represent hope for us in these kinds of times. And that's one of the things that I love about the stories about Jesus in the New Testament, is that he was exactly that. Jesus represented for us And to the people during that time in the first century, he represented hope. He represented something that was different than what they had experienced, especially from a religious context, because in their world, the religious context was very um, political. It was very judgy. There were all kinds of things just backwards about it. And Jesus steps onto the scene and says, no, time out. This is not what God intended this to be. So i'm here to course correct i'm here to show you a representation of something different and what god intended this to be in the world and we see that here in the book of matthew uh, with his story this inspiring story of how he Uh, called Matthew to follow him uh, to become one of his disciples. Really interesting. So if you're uh, at home, if you have a Bible that you'd like to look at, or if you're looking at your phone and the Bible app or something like that, or you just want to listen, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be looking at. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9 as well, um, is where we'll pick up. So Jesus comes along. uh, This is what it says, starting in verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added... Now, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think uh, they are righteous. I'm sorry. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, I love this story in this passage because there's so much in it. There's a lot of really big. Uh, weird churchy words too. So I'm going to explain all of this, uh, kind of unpack it a little bit for you because this whole story fascinates me. So many of these stories about Jesus calling these disciples to follow Him are really interesting to me because in the one instance, in all these stories, it's very matter of fact when Jesus calls one of these people to follow Him that they just up and do it. And what Jesus is saying to them in that moment is not Um, hey, you know, follow me around town for a little bit, like come hang out with me and we'll have some drinks together and I'm going to teach you about life. What Jesus specifically says to them in that moment of saying, come follow me, what he's saying is give up everything else, Uh, walk away from your tax collector's booth, walk away from this life that you're living, come be my disciple, learn to live life the way that I have designed life and... You're gonna, what it meant to be a disciple was like what we see in Star Wars with a, with a Jedi and a Padawan learner. That Padawan follows and lives and breathes everything that Jedi, his master, is teaching him and following him. He learns to mimic those things. He learns to become that Jedi that his master, that his mentor, is teaching him to be. And that's what he's calling Matthew to be in all of these stories. Is He's saying, walk away from this and follow me. And what's so fascinating to me is how matter-of-factly it is, the way it's told in these Bible stories that Jesus says, come follow me, and then they just do it. Like, imagine at your job that one day, you know, some random, you know, kind of scraggly, somewhat homeless-looking dude just comes walking through, and he's like, hey, Jason, get up from your desk, leave this job, and follow me. Come be my disciple. No one in their right mind would go, yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds about right, I'm done. Guys, boss, I'm out of here, I'm gone. Like none of us would do that. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But what's interesting about it, the reason I think that this is why they did, I think the reason they did is for a couple of reasons. One, in that day and age, in the first century, one of the highest honors that people in families, the Jewish culture and those Jewish families, what they wanted for their children, especially their male children, um, that's a whole nother story, but their male children, what they wanted was uh, their child to be the student of a rabbi. They wanted their child to become a rabbi because in that culture, in that day, being a rabbi was a lot of clout in the community. It meant a lot of money. It meant a lot of influence, it meant a lot of political influence, it meant all of these things. It meant a status in their community. So what families would do is they would uh, put together as much money as they could and they would go to a rabbi, whoever they thought was the best rabbi, and they would offer to pay that person. They would pay the rabbi to take on their child as uh, a student to, uh, to be their Padawan, so to speak. and. Uh, it was a big thing. And if they didn't get chosen by any of the rabbis or the family didn't have enough money to pay the rabbis, then their children just kind of became uh, the castaways uh, to, to that society. They ended up going into the family business or doing something else. But their status was different. The best status they could have was to be the student of the best rabbi in the town. And what we're seeing here is with Jesus is he's calling these people that were the castaways. They were the ones that did not get chosen. They were the ones that didn't have enough money. They were the the poorer of the families or they just were not the the best fit, so to speak, for those rabbis. And Jesus is coming along and what he's saying to them in that moment, what he says to Matthew is, I see value in you. You have the status that anyone else would have because you are are a child of God. You have been created in His image, in God's image. And you have value and I see that value and I want to take you and mold that value so that you can better the world around you. So come, follow me and be my disciple." And it was so impactful to them in those moments that they said, yes, I will follow you because no one has ever shown me the value that you're showing me right now with this simple statement of asking me to be your disciple. And so Matthew gets up and follows him. And let me break down the tax collector part, because this is an interesting thing to me. So he goes along, he says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Matthew gets up, follows him, says, yeah, all right, I'm in, let's do this. Um, He walks away from being a tax collector. Uh, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So an interesting thing about this particular thing in their culture, being a dinner guest was a very uh, intimate, it was... um, it was seen as like, um, uh, they were, uh, sorry, the word I'm looking for, it was a sign of fellowship. It was a sign of like, um, you are part of the family. We are together in this. Like, I'm inviting you into my home and I want you to be here and break bread with you and have a meal and sit at the table with you. Um, that was a very special invitation. And so Matthew says, I want you to come and your disciples come to my house, be my dinner guests. I'm going to invite all of my people. And what's interesting is it said along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, let me break this out for a second. I, listen, I don't know, I don't think anyone likes to pay taxes, uh, but we do it. It's part of the culture. It's part, of, and we should. We need to pay taxes and all that. But I don't think anyone really loves it, right? Like no one goes, "Cool, yeah, I want to give you X percentage of my of my income to the government." But we do it, and it's important, and all of that. What I would say though is I don't think any of us would look at a tax collector in our society and look at them as like the worst people of our society no one goes like you know that tax collector in hillsborough county wow or pinellas county the worst like they are they deserve to die like they're terrible like no one does that no one no one views it that way we don't see people uh, at that in that career field in that way um, but they did because there's a really interesting thing in this scenario is that Matthew was a Jewish citizen. So he was a Jew and um, he was a part of their, that culture. But Jewish tax collectors in that day and age, they worked for the Roman government. The Roman government was the overseers at that time. Uh, they took advantage of the Jewish people a lot. It was, it was not a good scenario. So for a Jewish citizen, to go and work on behalf of the Roman Empire was a a double slap in the face. First of all, he's collecting taxes from his own people, but he's also doing it on behalf of the people that have them enslaved during that time and that are lording over them. So not only that, but as a tax collector, he would, it was a little bit like the mafia. They were seen as kind of what what we would see as the mafia. It was kind of like, listen, I'll protect you. You pay your taxes, but you pay me a little extra uh, and I'll, I'll work on your behalf with the Roman Empire and they'll leave you alone. They'll, they, they won't harass you. You just, you just come to me. I'll take care of it. But you've got to pay me more money. Tax collectors were making a lot of money. They were manipulating people. They were taking advantage of people. And for Matthew, as a, as a Jewish citizen, to be working on behalf of the Roman Empire, he was taking double advantage of his own people. So his own people saw him and the people that did those jobs as the worst people in society because they were taking advantage of them, they were criminalizing the people that they were uh, collecting from. All of these things, they were extortionists, um, and they would sit on the public roads and sit out and and accost people and take their money uh, and manipulate them into giving these taxes. So they were seen as the worst. So for a rabbi, which Jesus was at the time, for a rabbi to come into the home, be invited into the home of a tax collector in that day, and go to have dinner with them and sit down at the table with them and to break bread with them was a massive cultural shift because rabbis didn't do that. They did not associate. The rabbis were up here, tax collectors down here. Those two things did not coexist. They, did not, um, they didn't hang out together. But Jesus broke that mold and he said, yeah, absolutely I'll come. Not only that, but to all the other people in your society that uh, in that day that were looked down on as the worst, that they were the outcasts, that they were the no-goods of their community. Matthew invited them all to to his house and invited Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus said, yeah, let's do it. I'm there. I'm in. So the story goes on. So this is the setup, right? So that's what's going on so all, all these fast collectors are there jesus is there and just like paint this picture in your head for a minute this is what i this is what i see like house party i'm sure we've all had house parties we miss them i'm sure because I, I don't think any of us are having them right now um, but hopefully one day we'll be back to it but imagine remember the last house party you we were at full of people music is bumping we're you know people are talking beers whatever drinks going around food everything just having a great time smiles laughs all of those things especially in this particular instance, because wow, it's fascinating, this rabbi, this person, this Jesus that we've heard about, that heals people and does all these incredible things are here in this home with us. This is amazing. Um, And I imagine Jesus was probably the life of that party too, by the way. Jesus probably at the DJ booth uh, spinning some records himself, like just getting down with it, Um, telling stories, probably laughing with people, hugging people, showing love and compassion, all of that to these people that were the unloved and untouched of their society. Uh, he was there showing that love and compassion to them. So the, pa- the party was probably bumping. A lot of people in there. Disciples, I'm sure. The disciples are probably a little iffy about it. They were probably kind of on the outer edges like, okay, yeah, it's cool to be here, but I don't know. This is not like, you know, the norm. Um, and what's interesting to me is the next thing that, that it says in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Now, here's the thing. Pharisees, if you don't know what the Pharisees are, uh, real quick, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the people that ran the church, they were very political, they had this weird political um, uh, connection with the Roman Empire. They were also taking advantage of their people because they were getting payoffs from the Roman Empire and all, all of these really backwards terrible things that they were doing, but as the religious leaders of their day. They were the most judgy, they were the ones that were like, hey, look at me, we're the, we're the most righteous, we're the, we're the best you need to aspire to be like us, all of these things. And the Pharisees come along and they're all, you know, at this point in the story with Jesus, they've been following him around and they've been trying to trip him up. They've been trying to like break down who he is so people will stop following him. And it's failed for them every time. And I think there's a reason why the Pharisees asked the disciples, not Jesus, because I think at this point they've learned, Jesus just makes us look stupid every time we ask him a question or we try to criticize him. So, but these disciples, he's got following him. These guys are kind of, kind of a bunch of idiots, so they don't really have the best answers. So we'll ask them because we could probably trip them up and make them look bad. But what's interesting to me is that they were around enough that they were maybe a part of this party or they were on the outside of the house. They were just watching and all these things happening. And they asked the disciples in this moment, why does your teacher, your rabbi, why does he eat with such scum which is a really harsh way to put things about the people in this about the people in this home but that was the view of the day these are the worst these are the unloved the uncared for the worst we don't want anything to do with them they're scum to us why is your teacher in here in this home with them doing that and they're trying to trip them up and they're trying to um, poke holes in what jesus is doing and make them feel bad about following this man but i love what happens next it wasn't the disciples that answered was Jesus that answered. Now imagine house parties going on, music's probably bumping, everything's loud, people are talking, laughing. And I just imagine like a record like that happens, you know, Jesus obviously heard because you know, he's got supersonic, you know, superhero hearing, you know, because it's Jesus, right? So um, he probably hears this question. And Jesus speaks up. The disciples probably like, I don't know, what do we what do we say? Jesus cuts in at this moment to give an answer for himself. And I just imagine, like, the record screech, you know, you hear, you have seen like, the movies or whatever, and everyone's like, oh, no, what is going to happen? And Jesus speaks up, and here's what he says. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now, he could have left it right there. He could have just said, listen, I'm here because people that are hurting need to be loved, and I'm here to show them love. I'm not here for people that think they've got their life together. I'm here for people that know I'm not perfect. Um, I don't do things right all the time. And I need some hope and I need some help. That's what I'm here for. And he could have left it for that. He could have left it right there and moved on and gone back to it. Could have mic dropped and walked away, but he doubled down on what he had to say to them. He said, this is what I'm here for. And then it goes on the next phrase. Then he added, this is my favorite part. Cause he said, here's my answer but I'm going to go even farther with it for you. Then he added, and this is what he said. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. It's kind of an insult, and it's a little bit of a uh, slap in the face to the Pharisees at that point because they're the religious leaders, right? They have been raised since childhood knowing the scriptures. They have, um, every Jewish male uh, at a certain age, um, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. They could quote it. They could quote those uh, early scriptures that they had. They knew it by heart. That was part of their thing to learn and mem- memorize these things. The Pharisees at their level, the age that they were at, most likely at this point would have had the entire Old Testament that they had available them, the entire Old Testament. All the, the prophets' writings, all of the writings that they had for the Old Testament, they would have had them memorized. They knew them. They knew these scriptures. But Jesus didn't say, go learn the scripture. They knew it. What he said to them is, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And what he said to them is, I know you know the words, but you don't know what those words mean. And if you knew what those words mean, you wouldn't be asking me why I'm here in this home with these people that you consider to be the worst of our society, why I'm here showing love and compassion and hope and giving hope and healing to people that are hurting. If you knew the meaning, you wouldn't ask that question. So let me tell you, go learn the meaning. And what he does is he quotes a prophet from the Old Testament, Hosea. It says, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And as he's saying it, I'm sure the Pharisees probably are hearing what he's saying and they, they know the next words. As he starts to say, I want you to show mercy, they know the rest of it, not to, after, not to offer sacrifices. They already know the words. But what he's saying is learn the meaning of these words. And what he says to them is, go and learn the meaning of this scripture, the story of Hosea, which is fascinating to me. I'm gonna break his story down real quick for you. The story of Hosea is a really interesting story in the Old Testament. If you get a chance, go read it. Go read that book in the Old Testament. Um, really interesting. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take the whole thing and will break it down real bite size, very quickly. Give you the bullet points. Hosea is a prophet in his day. He's the voice of God to the people of Israel at that time. Um, he is. This is a time before Jesus on the scene. It was a time before they they considered you as an individual could go straight to God and in prayer or. Um, address God. It was very holy um, separation of things. And the prophets were the voice for God to the people and from the people to God. So he was the mediator, so to speak, between God and people and people and God. And so when the prophets wrote or they spoke, it was considered "This this is God speaking directly to us and they're doing it through this prophet. And so that's who Hosea was at his time. So God comes along and says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to marry a woman in your community. Great. All right, all right. Let's do it. What? We're not done yet. Hosea, you're going to marry not just a woman of, uh, well, being a woman that's well off. Any, any, you're going to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now, think about this for a second. Some of these stories in the Bible are so weird and interesting to me. Like, they would make the best movies if you just made these stories. Um, Hosea... I imagine at that time it was like, wait, you what? You want me to marry what? You want me to marry a prostitute? I don't think these two things mix. And God says, yes, you're going to marry this prostitute. Um, And now imagine for a second, in our context, in our churches, um, you know, a pastor gets up at your church and let's say we're all at our church, Um, you know, let's say Hannah got up one Sunday and she's already married, so let's pretend she's not for a second. Say so Hannah got up and was like, hey guys, God gave me a word last night. God said, uh, Hannah, you're you need to marry a prostitute. So I'm gonna go find a prostitute to get married to. We would all probably go, okay, we had a good run, we're done, Hannah has lost her mind. Um, like, like, none of, like, None of us would go along with that, I don't think. I think we would all be like, okay, something's wrong. I don't think that's what God told you to do. But that's what happened in the story. And Hosea goes, okay, I guess, I guess I'll do it. And I'm sure he's probably trying to convince himself of what's going to happen. I'm sure he's convinced himself that, okay, I'm going to marry this prostitute and she's going to stop being a prostitute and it's going to be this great redemption story and on and on and on. And God says, no, 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 but no, sorry. Um, yeah, you're going to marry Gomer. She's a prostitute. By the way, she's going to keep being a prostitute. You're going to welcome her into your home. You're going to bring her home. She's going to still be that prostitute. She's still going to go out and do, and do that life. Um, but you're always going to welcome her back home. You're always going to bring her back home as your wife. You're always, the door will always be open to her to be home and be loved by you. And by the way, she's also going to have children at some point um, from that prostitution. And you're going to father those children in the way that as if they were your own children. And you're going to show love to them. And will al- you will always go and find her and bring her back. And at some point, she gets sold into slavery. And Hosea you, as her partner, are going to go and purchase her back out of that slavery to bring her home because she is your partner. She is your spouse. This is the person that you are going to show unconditional love to. Weird story. But the point of it, in that moment, and, what Jesus is, and the reason Jesus references the story, because what he's saying in that moment, through Hosea, is to my people, the people of Israel. You have walked away from me so many times. You have turned your back on me and you've done your own thing, you've made your own choices. You have prostituted yourself, if you will, to other things. And there have been consequences from those things. There have been children, quote unquote, born of the consequences and the choices of those things. And I, as your God, as your creator, as the one who loves you, I have always been there with you in every step of the way and I've always welcomed you home and I've always loved you unconditionally and always I've always been there to heal and to give hope and to show love and compassion because that's the point of this relationship is healing and hope, not of judgment and all of those other things. I'm here with you and I love you and you're always welcome here. And I will take the things. There's actually an interesting phrase um, in the book of Hosea where God says through Hosea, through this you will show to the people of Israel that I will take, uh, I will turn their valley of trouble and I will turn it into a gateway of hope. Such a great phrase. I will take the things, the troubles, the things that they've created for themselves that were problems and all these consequences of choices I would take those things and I will turn them into gateways of hope for them and for other people. And what Jesus says in that moment when he tells them, go and learn the meaning of this scripture, is he says to them, just as in the case of a Hosea, I am here to bring hope, to turn the valley of trouble into gateways of hope for people in the world. And you, Pharisees, as the religious leaders in our society. That was meant to be your role as well. And that's what you should be in this world. He uses love unconditionally in that moment. I love, one of my favorite authors, I'm gonna break this uh, down real quick. One of my favorite authors is a a lady by the name of Somali Mom. She was a um, a human trafficking victim in Cambodia when she was a child. And she, eventually was rescued out of it, um, became, has become one of the biggest advocates in the world for um, hum, ending human trafficking and um, helping kids, young girls be rescued out of that. And she wrote a book a few years ago called um, The Road of Lost Innocence. It's about her story. And in that book, one of the things she says is this, I strongly believe that love is the answer, and that it can mend even the deepest unseen wounds. Love can heal, Love can console, love can strengthen, and yes, love can make change. Love is an interesting thing. We all need it. We all desire it. We all crave it. And what Jesus says in that moment is the people in this room are craving love. They need to understand and they need to feel what true unconditional love is. And that's why I'm here. But in order to do that, we have to understand our own brokenness. We have to embrace our own brokenness as human beings, as as people with the mistakes we made and allow God to bring hope and healing to us in that way so that we in turn can also give hope and healing to other people that are broken and hurting. If we don't embrace our own, we can't help others. And that's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees in that moment, you've forgotten that you were also broken. You've forgotten that everyone's on a level playing field in this life. Um, the status is different. With, in God's economy of things, the status is different. It's all the same. We're all equals. We all need unconditional love. We all need hope and healing. And if we understood and embraced our own, then we would be much better at giving that to others and embracing others and loving others beyond their own uh, hurt and brokenness. And that's what he says to them. Love is a fascinating thing. So here's the thing about love. I'm gonna break, uh, break this apart for a second and then we'll, then we'll wrap it up. So love, you know, we use this term, the word love for a lot of things. Um, love is a really interesting like word that we just, we use for all kinds of things. Like we'll talk about, I love my new car. Check out my new car, it's great, I love it. And then a couple months later, we'll talk about our partner and say the same thing. Like, I love my partner so much, they're the best because of X, Y, and Z. Those two things are not the same thing, right? But we use the same word to to describe our feeling about those two things, but those are, really different things. I, if, I think it would be weird if, we, if the, our love for that physical thing, like that inanimate object, was the same thing as the love that we experience and feel for our partner, the person that brings us the most joy and love in, in this world. Um, but we use it, it's kind of the words that we use, right? So I think it's important if we define what, really, what love really looks like. Because what love looks like from a biblical definition, uh, from scripture, is really interesting. It's very specific. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's probably the best description that we have of what or definition of what love looks like. I'm gonna read this for you real quick. First Corinthians thirteen, four through eight. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here's the thing about this passage. Every one of those statements about love are choices and actions. Patience is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Keeping no record of wrongs is a choice. Being slow to anger, choice. All of those things that require action to be real. What the scripture says in that moment is be patient, be kind, and by the way, there's no caveats to it. There's no be kind to the people that were kind to you first. There's no be kind to the people that you agree with. Be kind to whoever you feel like is worthy of kindness. It just says be kind. If you're a follower of Christ, if you buy into this God story because God's story for humanity is hope and healing, and if you buy into that, then what it's saying is it doesn't matter who the person is, be kind, be loving, be caring, be compassionate be cheerful of others, be selfless and helpful to others, be slow to anger, be forgiving, be honest, be protective of the defenseless, be trustworthy, be persevering, all of these things represent hope and healing for us and to people that we offer love to. And so what Jesus says to us and to them in the story of Matthew in that moment, his answer to the Pharisees, his actions of being at this dinner party His action of calling Matthew to follow him is exactly this, showing unconditional love. And by that, giving hope and healing to the people in that story. And what he says to the Pharisees in his answer is, listen, I am here to bring hope and healing. And you as the Pharisees should know this already because you know the scriptures that we have. And that's the God story. And you've missed it. You've missed the mark, and so you as Pharisees, this is what you were meant to be, and I'm here to course correct for us. And those that come after me, my disciples, centuries later, people that would consider themselves disciples of Christ, follow my example of bringing hope and healing to the world around you. And that's my challenge to you today, is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in this story, to follow his example, For us, all of us, to be hope dealers in the way that Jesus was a hope dealer, to bring healing, to be healing givers to people that need it, all because we understand we found hope and healing from God, and now we offer that to other people. That's our challenge today. Um, so thanks for listening. Let's wrap things up with a prayer real quick. Hey, God, thanks so much for today. Thank you so much for um, even in this weird uh, time that we're in in our world that we can come together virtually um, and celebrate you and celebrate Scripture and celebrate what life is and still find hope together, and find healing together, even though we're separate right now. Thank you for loving us unconditionally, giving us a model of what love looks like, giving us a model of what being hope dealers and giving healing to the world looks like. Help us to be a great representation of that this week, this month, this year. Uh, May we be that to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for taking the time this morning. Thank you for listening. Thanks for letting me be here with you. Hannah will be back next Sunday. for Mother's Day, for special Mother's Day Sunday. Um, So tune in next week as well. Have a great Sunday.